Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here. Thanks for checking out our uh, sermon video from White Sunday 2020. Uh, for those who don't know, White Sunday is a Samoan holiday. It happens the second uh, Sunday in October every year and essentially is a Samoan holiday that celebrates children. So it's a children's Sunday. Uh, and so we are a small congregation and a portion of our congregation uh, is Samoan and we have partnered with them to, uh, to celebrate this holiday with them uh, and essentially let our kids hijack the service and, and we just honor them and celebrate them. And so this is a conversation we had uh, as a staff during the sermon time on White Sunday. Enjoy. Uh, the staff to come and grab a stool and get a mic and spread out as much as we can up here. Shay, if you could make sure that's, we see everything. Christian, there's a stool over here for you. If you'll come sit on the other side of the piano. We thought today, given it's White Sunday, uh, given that we're not in person, that instead of just doing a sermon, we might have a discussion. So I invited uh, Christian to come. <coughs> Say hello, Christian. Hello. Uh, we, Christian has not been seen on a Sunday morning in this building since, uh, you know, February. It's kind of a big deal. Hey, Christian, thanks for being a Christian again. <laughs> corny, corny joke of the day. Um, so uh, we decided today we would do a... Uh, do a panel discussion today about our kids and, and what it means to raise our kids uh, within the Jesus tradition. And I've asked him for some questions, and I know he has some questions. And so I'm going to actually take the first question, though, and then I'm going to turn it over to you, and you can hijack this as much as you want. And um, yeah, it should be fun. And just so we um, can both make this competitive and tie it to the book of Acts. Uh, of course. I, will, I want to tie it to the book of Acts, and then I want to give a point to any of us um, in the panel discussion that can, in their answers, tie it at some level to the book of Acts. And whichever one of us gets the most points, I think, deserves a free coffee. I'll just say, though, that you made that rule, and you knew that rule, and you could have prepared for that rule where we have not had any knowledge until you announced it. However, we know, Sean, you didn't prepare. Uh, yes! Thank you. There's, if you think I prepared, woo! Um, so in the book of Acts, there are these moments. This point does not count, because this is the one point of preparation. But after this point, then I can, I, it counts. Um, in the book of Acts, there's several, two or three moments, maybe more, I didn't prepare, um, where it says that an individual gets saved and gets baptized. And then it, right after that says, and the entire household also goes in through the baptismal waters and now enters in to this baptismal life, this uh, Jesus story. So one can suppose that includes children. And most historians would say, of course, that includes um, children. And so um, I think it matters the ways we think about what it means to come inside the Jesus story, not just for us as adults um, and individuals, but also for our families and for our kids. And so I want to start with a bit of an abstract question. Um, and then I'm going to turn it over to Christian, and he can take it and run with it. And that is this. It comes out, it's a two-part question, and, and it comes out of a conversation I was having with a parent in our church. Um, and then the, the back half of the question comes from another parent 
um, in our church. And this parent was reflecting. This is a person that grew up in the church. They stayed connected to the church. They have kids now in the church. And, and the question was, they were reflecting upon our world, um, reflecting upon uh, the ways in which they are processing uh, Christianity, uh, in particular Western, you might say evangelical Christianity. Um, and, and they were, were, were processing the ways in which they have perceived that at times Western evangelical Christianity has gotten attached um, to political parties. Um, at times, the ways Western evangelical Christianity has failed to have eyes to see issues of justice, um, and, and maybe even at times worked against issues of justice. And their question to me was, what does it even mean to be Christian in this context? And and based on what I'm seeing, do I want to be? So that was kind of the first question from the first person. And, and there was an additional question, and Christian, feel free to jump into this too, um, that another parent asked in our congregation. And that was, and this person was agreeing with that assessment, that it, it often feels like it's gotten attached politically. It often feels like it's gotten attached with not having eyes to see issues of justice and, and to walk alongside and participate in the movement towards justice. And this person was asking, not just what does it mean to be Christian anymore, but do I want to raise my kids in a tradition? Or how do I, if I do want to raise my kids in a tradition, how do I raise them in such a way where they don't just come alongside this tradition and attach themselves to political parties and yet fail to see issues of justice, but participate in the very work of Jesus in the world. So I just decided, let's not start with a softball. Let's jump right in and then Christian could take over. So how would you answer? What does it mean to be Christian? And, and if we decide we want to, how do we go about raising our kids inside this story in this unique time we find ourselves in? Sean and I were joking at the beginning of this that we've kind of, if some of you have participated in watching uh, public forums over the last few weeks where questions were asked of candidates, we're under no obligation to actually answer the question that's been asked. So <laughs> we can go anywhere. I was just about to interrupt you. But. Oh. <laughs> I'm waiting for the feed in my ear to catch up so okay. I know what to say. Uh, <laughs> boom, boom. But first of all, I want to say, remembering in the book of Acts, where it says they were the first to be called Christians, and also in the book of Acts, knowing that everyone that is claiming this new faith in Christ that is now under the banner of Christianity is going against the faith of their household in a way. So they're embracing something new that has not been part of their household for generations. And I think we do get sometimes confused. I like the term Christ follower better than Christian because Christian has been lumped with so many things up through all of the years where in Christians were the Crusades, and Christians were this, and Christians were that, but that if we are actually people that follow the ways of Christ, then that to me is a better moniker and also a better funnel of which we see how we're trying to live our lives through the life of Jesus Christ, rather than in this moniker that we put upon ourselves that we are Christian, and then that seems to have a lot of things that have been added to it or have become something that necessarily isn't what it was supposed to become. I'll yield the rest of my time to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I didn't interrupt. No. Well, you talked a lot, and so I'm not sure I got the question, but if I think I got the <laughs> so, so that gives me freedom to just answer any way you I want. You just said I talk a lot. <laughs> well, it's all good stuff, all good stuff. Um, but what I think I heard in the question is how do, we, how do we ground our kids in a faith in Jesus Christ that's real and not just um, attached to forms, whether they be political or educational or you know social or whatever how do we um how do we ground them to the substance of what it means to be a christ follower um you know to tie it to acts i would just say acts it's acts it's acting and i think the more we can which is i don't know if that counts as a point i I, you know half a point half a point (laughs) half a point i'm not done okay Um, i think i think you know, like they say, the, the the most important journey is the the 18 inches from your head to your heart to get it out of your head and into your heart, and then I, and then you know I think the next journey to ground faith and to ground our kids in faith is the journey from your heart to your hands. Um, that that what we do as as Jesus followers, right? Not just as labeling ourselves Christians, like you would label yourself a Republican or a Democrat or whatever, but to, but to say, I am following, um, has everything to do with how we live our lives and how we give ourselves away. And it means, it means giving, um, ourselves to the way that Jesus lived. And so I think the quicker we can do that and the more we can do that and the younger we can start doing that with our kids, teaching them what it means to live this way and teaching them how to act um, in the way that Jesus did, we can um, ground them. It's really, it's easy when you're uh, in, you know, the, the, the mass exodus that, that faith uh, psychology says happens, you know, when kids are 18, 20 or whatever, where everybody is like, see, I've had enough of church. It's easier to walk away from an ideology or even a belief system. It's not so easy to walk away from what you've invested your life in. And so if we can start early helping them get their hands, roll up their sleeves, get their feet muddy, get their hands dirty in what it means to serve, um, whatever that means in our context, I think that's a... um, uh, I think that honors the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it means, and I think it, it's a way and the way to ground our kids in what's real in our faith. Yeah, I just want to jump in on that. I think thank you for both of these answers are helpful. Um, as a parent of young kids, I struggle as well. And um, I think, I don't know who it was who told me this, but there's truth in this statement that there, there's more that is uh, caught than taught, right? And I think for those of you parents who are trying to figure out if you want to raise your kids as followers of Jesus or be connected to the church, um, we live in a unique season of COVID where I think, uh, and I, I think even before COVID, I was advocating for this, that actually parents, you are your kids' first disciplers. So I think, there, in, you know, when I was doing youth ministry, I'd have parents come and bring me their kids. Mm-hmm. And I was supposed to somehow, like, teach them about Jesus. And, I, and hopefully I did in some way, shape, or form. And hopefully the church at large gets to shape each of our children, right? Um, because we're involved in each other's lives, not just on Sunday and not just in this place, but 
in this weird world where we're disconnected because we don't have the capacity to come here, uh, our job as teaching our kids about Jesus and how he lived his life, even going to the cross, right, which I think there are, there's ways of parenting where we want to just shield and protect our kids, which is part of our responsibility, but also how do we help them when life isn't going to go the way that we want it to or, or think it should, and when we are not uh, the ones in power or there are systems of oppression that they're experiencing. Um, yeah, that our job is to do this at home, and then hopefully the community of faith continues to surround you um, through prayers, through uh, examples of, of service and living this out, um, in the ways that can, we can be connected in these days. And so um, I think how we live is actually the ways that we teach our children. Um, and hopefully the way we live our lives is actually following the way of Jesus, which I, you know, there really is no way to get around the cross. But through the cross, there is resurrection. So there's yeah. that. Um, I'm going to hand it to you. Just let me make one quick announcement. Um, if you have questions or thoughts, we'd love for you to put them in the chat. And if we have time, we'll get to them today. If not, it's a perfectly good excuse to do a podcast later this week. I'd also add to that uh, responses, too. If you have responses to my questions, I'd love to hear from you. There's a couple folks I'd like to hear from in particular that I think of. Ken, if you're there. Kathleen, if you're there. Really love to hear what you guys have to say. Other parents in our church. Um, I want to transition by saying that a lot of my questions are basically more nuanced or more specific more specific questions around what Sean's actually asking. So I really appreciate that frame, right? What is it, if I simplify it, what does it mean to raise Christian kids and still hold on to our values as individuals? Um, so when we talk about acts or the specific way we act or acting outside of tradition um, of our family's history and becoming Christians, um, what does that look like specifically? Um, so here are a couple questions that I got for you. The first, I want to kind of transition well and then go into some softer stuff. Um, how do you equip your kids to think about the world critically while still holding on to your faith? How do you equip your kids to think about the world critically while still holding on to your faith? And your boy a teacher, so I'm really good at the wait time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> really comfortable with the silence well i think tanner has clearly nailed thinking about the world critically i mean Mm. yeah he's got it so i'm gonna start because then i can get mine over with because i don't really know very much about this so very quickly Mm -hmm. i think um something to at least approach that when i think of um developmental psychology and how um how a child's brain is wired to work at different stages I think, I tried to do this with my kids. Now my questions are different. (laughs) Like, what in the world were you thinking? That's my questions now. But when (laughs) they were younger, (laughs) um, I think to ask kids questions, to teach them to ask questions, I think that nurtures critical thinking, to teach them from a young age, why do you think it is that way? Why, you know, for, for the very little ones, why, why, is the, why is the sidewalk wet over here and it's not wet over there? Just helping them look just in their environment because later their environment grows to something bigger, right? Later their environment includes politics and includes tension. It includes all the social dynamics of what we do. 
as an adult, but when they're little, their world is much more attuned to um, their natural environment and the things around them. Um, you can bring in the social-emotional piece with young kids, teaching them, look at his face. How do you think he feels right now? And teaching empathy that way. And so I think the beginning, at least the first step in critical thinking is, is helping children's brain formulate form to ask questions like with what they're seeing to ask questions and just and, and keep wondering and keep that sense of curiosity um, alive and, and nurture it and, and, and let it grow and I think sometimes uh, we've sorry go ahead. sometimes we've made a mistake that within our faith journey there are things that we try to place outside of it that mm -hmm. logic critical thinking <coughs> science these kind of things it's kind of like the answers to that are Oh, just have faith, just have faith. Uh, and I was someone myself that my mind didn't work that way. I didn't understand why God wasn't big enough for my questions and for my critical thinking. And I have, with my two kids, I have, my son is very much like that and my daughter is very accepting. I don't want to question, I just believe and I just live within that. So I think allowing your kids to be who they are and to say that there's nothing outside that fits outside of your relationship with Christ that if you are a questioner, that you, I mean, if we look through, including in Acts, uh, if we look through, the, the Bible is full of people that questioned the way things were, that questions how it was working. If we um, even, I believe it's in Acts 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch. That is a whole new That's way. one point, by the way. Oh, just one? Okay. I think you should get multiple in your answers. But when we try to divide and say, now, church and faith in Christ, that's the place just to, to move in with faith and leave all the other pieces of you aside. We, we are doing a great harm. Yeah, yeah. Because I think that's part of the exodus that happens, that if the questions weren't allowed to be part of the faith, then they're, yeah. they're ready to want to walk away from that yeah. because they found this isn't a place to get answers. This is just a place to believe what I'm told. Yeah. So I think God is big enough and the Holy Spirit is big enough to handle all of who we are, yeah. all of our questions, all of our logic, all of our science, so that all of it belongs within our faith. It is not excluded from our faith. All of our doubts. All of our doubts. Say, all of our anger. Can I even, even to just want to add one thing to what, just at one sentence, to the point, especially with like starting with young teenagers and like the ones you're teaching, and all, that doubt genuinely embracing the doubts you have is a critical part of building faith. Mm -hmm. That if you exclude your doubts or you're afraid of the doubts or, or we build a culture where we can't talk about doubts, um, then we can't really talk about faith. Just to add to that, um, that, you know, I used to get really frustrated because I had to bring Thea or Antasia with me everywhere. Um, but the truth of it is, is that we should bring our kids everywhere and there sh they should go and experience diverse places they should eat diverse foods they should talk to people that look different than them um, and in the church we do become very mm -hmm. insular we have where we come on Sunday on Wednesday nights um, and this becomes our people uh, and then they get exposed in in their schools and into um, in their workplaces into places that are different right but you should be there with them well, we should go and explore those places together. Um, and this is not just a, um, you know, like I think uh, 
both uh, white evangelical American communities as well as like ethnic communities can be very insular. We can stay within our own people because they feel safe, um, but you need to have relationships and conversations. And you know, my kids call different people aunties and uncles, whether they're blood or not. That is an important part of them understanding that their family is not just our biological family. It's helping them to understand that we're connected to one another. And I think that at a very early age creates critical thinking skills for being able to um, connect with people who are different, with people who ask different kinds of questions. At a, at a practical level, um, I think, we, I mean, we live in such a busy uh, society that's always on the go, and I find myself, I mean, my to-do list that I started last week, I think I got a third of it done, and so on my computer there, there's still this list, and, and so it would be very easy for me at the end of the day, and often is very easy, to just get more childcare or put on more Netflix so that I can keep my kids focused so that I can do more of the busy work. And I think at this stage with them, part of helping them to think critically um, now, but, but even to begin to learn that as they get older, is not making myself or Kristen and I not making ourselves so busy that we're just always on the go, but we have enough time to get on the floor and play with them <coughs> and begin the relational developing that as they grow older, they feel like there's a foundational relationship that um, as parents and kids that, that we can interact and, and have, even when we're interacting over divergent views, they feel comfortable enough um, to, to engage with, with us, their parents, as well as other adults too. Thanks you guys, really good answers. Ask questions, let them bring their whole selves, diverse experiences, and what that looks like, especially when parenting becomes hard at the end of the day. I have, yeah, this could, that question alone I think could last very long, especially when I think specifically about what it means to ask questions to or in a power structure, not just culturally from my own ethnic culture, but like also culturally in the church. Um, so that's very interesting, very interesting. We could go on forever, but we gotta move on. Um, how do you demonstrate the grace of God to your kids? <laughs> Buy them cars, cars. Mm -hmm. Buy them <laughs> cars, cars? <laughs> we go to Target and we go down the toy aisle. <laughs> Everything's free. <laughs> just don't let them see you walk away with it. No, I'm just um, how do you, sorry, how do you demonstrate the grace of God to your kids? Mm. I don't have a specific <laughs> answer, but I will tell you what my prayer is. Um, and and it's a, it, I love this question because this has literally been my, my prayer, like specifically over the last few weeks. Um, and that is that God would enable me to build a family culture of grace so that they're living in it. And I don't, that's not a, that's not a good answer because it's very unspecific. But I, I, I don't know what that looks like. Um, it, I think it would differ from family to family and based on family rhythms and practices and personalities and all that. But that somehow as leaders of our families, God would enable us and enable me as the leader of my family to, um, 
I guess it starts with understanding grace and understanding and, and recognizing its graces, God's grace in my own life and, and, and having a genuine appreciation for, for the grace that I receive and, and how that affects my life and, and how it affects how I move and how I look at others and how I deal with tension and how I, you know, move around in my world. I think if we're not experiencing it and appreciating it ourselves, it's going to be difficult to to um, be a, an agent of that in our families. But that, that's my prayer. I guess it's just for a kickoff of the conversation. It's just that, that I would have a, um, the wisdom and the pattern to build rhythms of grace and conversation of grace and a, a, a culture of family grace. One thing I've discovered um, about myself that isn't necessarily a pleasant discovery, the people that I live with are the most difficult for me to extend the grace of God to. And I think sometimes my family sees a two-facedness in my lived-out Christianity. That sometimes I'm much, it's much easier for me to extend God's grace to those that are on the outside. But within my own home, sometimes I fall within the places of anger and judgment in more of a way than I do for those that are outside. So what I continue to try to do, because I still find myself in that place frequently, is to learn to say that I'm sorry for that and allow my family to help me extend that grace and the grace they could have to me to forgive me for the times in my own home that I am not as quick to extend grace to those that I live with. I, oh, go ahead. Um, <laughs> ditto. <laughs> but, uh, and I think just, yes, because it's so much easier. I, you know, I'm a pastor, and so I have, not to say that I'm two-faced, but like I can do church really well. I've been trained to do church fairly well my whole life, right? And so um, in my home, there, I don't say it's a different side of me, but probably a more genuine and authentic <laughs> Regina, right? Um, and by that, you know, I think authenticity has to, to be par part of being gr gracious, uh, because they see me at my worst. They see me when I'm angry or when I just like, nobody knows how to push my buttons better than the people in my own home. <laughs> um, and in that, then there is the space to say, whoa, to recognize and mm -hmm. to say, I'm sorry. Actually, that's not what I wanted to mm -hmm. say or how I wanted to react. And that I think that in itself is the Christ way because we can just go on pretending that like, that's okay. But then, you know, there was a time this week when I just really needed to say sorry to Thea. She's three. I'm the parent, and I, I have a lot of power over her, right? Mm -hmm. But she needed to know that I was sorry for the way that I had talked to her and treated her, and that was appropriate. Um, and I want her to learn that apologizing is the right way to, when you do something or act uh, a way that is not Christ-like, that that's the thing you need to do. 
That's really good. Um, quickly, I, nerdy answer. I think about what is God's grace, and I think it is God's presence. Mm-hmm. So what is God's presence? And my nerdy answer would want to be the body of Christ. And I mean that more at a cosmic level mm-hmm. than simply mm-hmm. the 30 people that show up on a given Sunday. So, but, but, it, but it also certainly includes, at a cosmic level, would include the 30 people that show up on a given Sunday. So it's, it's the community is really, in many ways, I mean, well, Paul would say mystically, it is the body of Christ, it is the presence of Christ. So in many ways, the community becomes God's grace. So how do I help my kids to experience God's grace? Um, I love bringing them to church because they encounter people that I would not naturally choose to encounter if it's a Monday night and we're going to go have dinner with somebody. Um, They hang out with people who we probably in our social spheres wouldn't make natural connections with. Um, I I love watching Tanner and Parker run, chasing Mila and and now Thea. and, And I think in many ways it is this tangible way where they encounter God's grace. And it's one of the things... I'm both thankful for in this COVID time that we have this collaboration so that my kids still get that and they still ask, when can we go to church? But it's also one of the things I'm most sad for because I know when they say, can we go to church? There's a part of them that's saying, where's Addie and Charlie? Where's Peyton? Where's, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah, sorry. My head goes into so many different ways, like hearing all you speak your answers, um, especially the, this idea of two, like two-sidedness. It's, it's very interesting because somebody is like those are the people that express grace for us, right? Like we don't, ex- we don't necessarily need or expect that grace in our roles when we're out serving folks on the outside. Those folks on the inside of the world show grace for us. And then what you're saying about bringing them to church like really resonates because I think grace, I think your dad is the reason why I feel like I understand grace. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's totally flip side. I mean, besides my mom, who is the right. purest example of love I know, at, um, your dad, when he, through positive but mostly negative things, he used to say, well, there's something to be said about God's grace. And I used to hate that answer. <laughs> I really did. But now, as I'm looking back on it, I was like, yeah. As, as like tough as it is for him to say that, like good and bad, all of it is, is grace. And, you know, wrapping my head around that. I don't want to get into too much details, but I'll, uh, let me get a real quick time check. How many questions do you think I got um, more? Because I'm going to have to cut some of these. I think I'll just get a couple more. A like couple two. more? Let's two more? Two more. Okay, two more. Um, scratch that. <laughs> <laughs> well, podcast. At the, I think that's going to be the one we end with. I like that. It's a great I choice. the unique... So far, just to, to tally the score up, I, I, I think it's Mark 2, Laura 1. I think I got zero, and I think Regina's got zero so far. So we've got to pick up the A game. <laughs> pick up your A left. games, guys. Okay. Uh, oh, and Laura, said, it to Laura said, what are we getting points for? <laughs> if I was a scorer, then, you know, I would win, but, you know. <laughs> um, so at the age – oh, actually, no. How – how let's talk about our kids specifically how do you notice the unique way god has created them or the unique ways god has created them and their gifts Hmm. i'm gonna say that one more time and then i'm gonna give you a little tidbit about this one how do you notice the unique way god has created them and their gifts my questions are so great created them myself I'm just joking. I'm <laughs> sad because I have to cut all my questions and we're doing all of Emily's questions because hers are better. Uh-huh. One more time. How do you notice 
the unique way God has created your children and their gifts? I think watching and listening, which I'm really horrible at both of them quite often. Um, you know, as a parent, you can kind of stumble under the pressure of um, needing to kind of run the ship and, and, and correct and guide and all that requires verbalizing sometimes. And um, I think the times and the seasons and the days that God helps me slow down and listen and stop talking and watch my kids and listen to them and give them space um, more space in our conversations and in our family rhythms to to talk and to kind of listen to not just their words but listen to their life listen to their their own way that they do things um, I think that's how we see the image of God in people mm. by noticing the, I mean notice was in your your question but I think to notice takes the effort of listening and watching. I think uh, that, you know, what brings them joy? Mm -hmm. Like, even though it's like, like, our kids are naturally joyful, I think, especially at a younger age, right? Um, they, they just want to, they just want to play. Mm -hmm. And I think that in itself is a gift. Um, but, you know, I am guilty of putting my kids in front of a television and letting them like binge watch too many TV shows and cartoons. Um, but you know, the thing is that they want to like, they want to go outside. They want to play in the grass. They want to draw, they want to be creative. And those are the things that are fun. I'm not to say that they don't want to sit and watch TV, but um, I think part of recognizing those things is like paying attention and listening, and then allowing for those creative moments to happen where their joy is fulfilled, you know? They, they find satisfaction in that. And I think the more that we recognize it and mm -hmm. nurture that, it, it's for our good and theirs. Um, by the way, uh, my dad says, get used to Emily being right often. <laughs> uh, I think about this, I, that's both of those are really good and uh, convicting and so I don't want to answer this as a parent because that will convict me too much <laughs> I need to go back with Kristen and listen to this later and like process this as a parent because I, I think time and and being less busy for me is the is the thing and yeah getting them outdoors and coloring and um, I, I think about this though as a church right churches so often um, get pigeonholed into doing the religious institution dance the way we've always done the religious institution dance. And, and, and part of, I think, maybe what COVID is helping us to see what is slowing things down so we can think more critically about things. And, and one of those is our kids are so different, like mm -hmm. from Tanner and Parker uh, to Thea and Tejo to Hope and Grace to Mila. I mean, you just go down like all the kids connected so you know, there's so many different kids, and it would be a shame if we as a church try to structure our religious institution to fit like a one or two person uh, model that worked in the 90s and 80s and 70s. 
Um, but, but to think critically and be open to rhythms and practice and habits that allow our kids to come alive as they are in this in, in new generation. They think differently. They, they sometimes talk differently. They act differently. And to embrace that and to let them be who they are as the church and create space for that and not simply to ask them to do this whole dance the way we did it 30 years ago. And, and COVID may be helping us finally have eyes to see that and, and hearts to think through that. And that's tough because we don't just want to throw everything away, throw the baby out with the bathwater. But, but it's so beautiful to think about the incredible diversity that all our kids have. How can we create space that allows them to come alive in this cosmic body of Christ in ways maybe we haven't always done? I, I think before we're through too, if we could go through and everybody just kind of say how many kids they have in their ages, because not our whole audience isn't familiar with us. Man, that would have been good. So in that, I'm just gonna say, I have an 18 year old son and a 16 and a half year old daughter. Uh, my daughter is visually impaired. She goes usually to the Washington State School for the Blind. And much like Stephen did in Chapter 7 of Acts, where he goes back and tells stories of earlier times. And the answer, see, I just got another point. Uh, but, <laughs> and the answer to this, it reminds me of a time when my daughter was three. And I was studying for the sermon at home on the couch, reading. And my daughter desperately wanted to play with Daddy. And she got up and she's climbing on me and she said, what are you doing, Daddy? And I said, I'm preparing for Sunday. Is she what you're going to say? And I said, yes. And she said, what's it about? My daughter was, the, the thing that she had a great grasp of was words because yeah, yeah. vision wasn't her thing, but words were. And I said, I'm going to talk to the people about how we find and where we find God. And she continues to play and I continue to say, hey, stop, I'm trying to study. Hey, stop, I'm trying to study. And she's really irritating me like a three-year-old can do. And Amen. all of a sudden, when she was with me, the light that was coming this way cast a shadow on the wall, of which she doesn't see well, but she could see the shadow. And she taps me on the shoulder. And she said, Daddy, look, there's God. And it hit me, and it stayed with me, that in the answer to this, that I think we need to look for in the unique giftings, that our kids are made in the image of God the Creator. And that is so widely, uh, there are so many facets to that. And to embrace and to look at and to wonder and to see them and to say, God, what can you teach me about yourself in the ways that I see my children and I see you being lived out? Right now, by the way, Tanner and Parker are having a fight because they're carnal children of this pastor. Um, but I do, I do think that allowing your kids to teach you about God, not just you thinking you have that burden to only teach them about God. That's so good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's you really know what? Good. You just won the game whether you mentioned What was the prize? That wasn't Axe, but that's it. That's <laughs> what was the prize? That's what I don't know. A copy. Oh, well, there we go. Your prize is a smile from me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, this would be our last question. I think uh, really touches on... The, I really like this idea where this is framed in this... You know, when it, when it comes to having Christian kids, like, because that's what the the this whole thing is framed under. Um, I like how folks are naming the struggle with um, retaining Christian identity and yet knowing that we do things drastically different, and that they're like by naming a standard of what that means and applying it in a Christian lens, like if you say that this is what it means to be Christian, then you put so many other folks on the outside of that, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it, 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 when, it's, when we talk about unique giftings, um, this is the last question, because there are key things I think we want our kids 
to leave with at the center of what it means to be Christian kids. So at the age your kid is now, <laughs> another Emily question, by the way. Dun, dun, dun. What are the attributes of God that you want your kids to believe in? Before we do that, I think, Mark, I think that was a really good suggestion. Can we just do a little whip around? How many kids? What are their ages? Tanner and Parker. Uh, Tanner is four, and Parker just yesterday turned two. Four and two. Jaden and Shana are 16. Hannah is 26. Mm-hmm. And Timothy is 29, almost, right? Almost yeah, 29. Yeah, I think he's my age. Yeah. Right? I have my son, Will, and he is 18. And my daughter, Laura, is 16 and a half. And my daughter, Thea, is three and a half. And uh, son, Tejo, is 18 months. <laughs> mm. At the age your kid is now, what are the attributes of God that you want your kids to believe in? It's almost like it came from someone who studied theology or something. <laughs> One of my verses for myself and for my children has always been in Micah um, 6 8 of what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. I would take this mic and drop it right now, but it would be <laughs> I, I, I would say, I mean, these answers love, mm-hmm. and that they are loved, and, and they give love, and, and I, I see that when they interact with each other. I see that when they interact with their nanas and papas, and um, occasionally with uh, Kristen and I. But I would also, <laughs> the, the, the thing I would also add is um, creativity. Mm. that they see the world is so big and, and their imaginations are running wild, especially with Tanner now, to start to see him play um, with his dinosaurs or with his cars and his imagination is taking <coughs> over and he's creating stories in his head and narratives and God is creative and he has um, created a creative world that yeah. continues to create and now has entrusted us to be his co-creators and so at this very early stage where he's creating with dinosaurs and cars and with crayons and paper he is participating with this creative god i think um the word that maybe is at the top of my list at least practically as i'm going through the days as a parent right now um, is kindness that I hope for my children to experience the kind, compassionate heart of God and that they would plug into that and be agents of that and become that, Um, especially right now in our political landscape. And somehow, I don't know, I don't know if every generation feels this way, but I feel like the world is a lot more angsty and a lot more tense than it was when I was in high school. Mm. Maybe I'm just more angsty and tense than I was in high school, but... Um, I think in in just the the global um, the global place that we live um, with all of the um, arguing and bickering and and 
and now how that's magnified looking at the long term of things all of our all of our opinions and all of our um, voices are uh, on you know internet and and technology has made us helped us helped us to hear each other it's a good thing but anyway in the midst of that there's there's such a need for kindness and there's such an absence of it and I think um, kindness is an essence word not so much an attribute like like an external thing but but I would say kindness and love are like an essence that's in essence who God is and I hope for my kids especially right now I think to to put on kindness and to be formed by kindness as an extension of uh, being a child of God um, this might be silly for me to want this for them at three and 18 and a half months but I think it's something that I'm trying to motion through and remember in my own spiritual journey is patience and long-suffering um, as an attribute of God. And that's an interesting thing because, you know, ch small children are not patient. But also, big children, uh, like us, are not patient either. And I think in all seasons of our life, we have, you know, God willing, our lives are long. Um, and I don't know. Like, I think God holds it all together. And so may we be more patient and long-suffering. Um, and then the other side of that I, is to, that there is enough goodness in the day and there's joy if we would, if we would embrace it. Um, and so just to continue to cultivate joy in our lives, not just happiness, right? Um, but there's joy even in the midst of the things that are difficult. Um, yeah, I think through all of your answers, patient, kind, I think I heard humble. It was so short that I was, right? And love does not boast, right? Um, to me, that all of these things are manifestations of God's love, the way, I know not to be generic, like you said earlier, even creativity, the love for the world, and the way that we show our kids how to love and be loved, um, and the specifics are where we disagree sometimes. And the joint message behind loving is the way that we come together, I think, at the end of the day to raise Christian children. So thanks for having me, y'all. I really appreciate y'all. I appreciate your answers. Thank, thank you, Christian, but mostly thank you, Emily, for those questions. <laughs> um, thanks, for, babe, for doing my job. For those, we're going to skip the last song because of time. For those who are wanting to know why on earth is the camera shaking? Because we have a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old that are just running circles in the sanctuary. But you know, it's White Sunday. So why would we stop them? Because this is beautiful. Um, we want to end our service today by coming to the table. So we'd love for you, if you...